morning, class. Today we're going to learn the McDonald's menu songs and give a listener out there a chance to win a million dollars. So, repeat after me. Repeat after me. No, no. No, no. Oh, okay. Okay. Here goes. Here goes. Big Mac McDLT, a quarter pounder with some cheese filet, a fish, a hamburger, a cheeseburger, a Happy Meal, McNuggets, tasty golden French fries, regular or larger size of salad, chef or garden, or a chicken salad, oriental, big big breakfast, egg McMuffin, hot hot cakes and sausage, maybe biscuits, Hello, bacon, egg and cheese. and welcome to Books the Podcast, the only podcast about books. I'm Tim. I'm Tom. We're booksmen, yeah. and we're loving it. Oh, I see what you did there because of the book uh, you're reading. Ba da ba ba ba. Did Ray Kroc live to see uh, the that uh, Diddy? No. When Ray Kroc founded or or became involved with McDonald's, he was fifty two years old. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Matt, you're telling me he didn't live well into his hundreds? <laughs> <laughs> nope. No, he did not. I don't know when he when he passed away. Tom, how are you doing this week? Oh wait, that's what we say on the other show. Yeah, uh, I don't know what we say on this show. Hey, we just uh, we just shoot the breeze. Hey, we keep it we keep it uh, light here. Some people have uh, sent me this week. Speaking of uh, McDonald, if you're a subscriber, you know uh, Tim's reading "Grinding It Out" by uh, McDonald's founder Ray Kroc. Some people sent me, I guess, uh, McDonald's announced they've got like a, a trio of chicken sandwiches uh, just in time to compete against Popeye's chicken sandwich that went viral a year ago. <laughs> um, oh, more than a year ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. In 2019, almost yeah. yeah, a year and a half, two years ago, hmm. uh, which I've I've yet to have. I'll tell you this much about chicken sandwiches. I've never been that. Look, I like chicken sandwiches. I've never been that impressed with the chicken sandwich. I've had what have been billed to me as extraordinary chicken sandwiches, and I like them. I like them a lot. I I don't think that there's all that much you can do. I don't think there's there's the the gulf that some people imagine between a a decent chicken sandwich and an extraordinary chicken sandwich. Yeah, I think that's true. And um, when it comes to sandwiches, um, I'm a condiments and toppings guy, right. and I think that's why I'm more into burgers than I am chicken sandwiches. And this is a guy. Uh, keep in mind, I haven't eaten meat in four and a half years, but um, I, w- I do love sandwiches. And like, uh, I will, I will love a burger. Like a burger, you could do interesting things with. Yeah. A chicken sandwich always seems to be like, oh yeah, it's just that and a pickle, and they put it on a bun, and it's amazing. And it's just not what I'm into. I will say this though, and you'll remember this, Tim. Uh, this was before you were. Uh, I was going to say a veterinarian. Um, the McDonald's chicken breakfast sandwich from a year few years ago with a pickle chicken biscuit yeah, yeah that oh no it wasn't on a biscuit it was or was it, on a, it, it was it, on a the, biscuit, ch- the yeah. breakfast one was yeah um uh fried in peanut oil that was i do remember every time i had one of those wanting to go back and order three more yeah so maybe um, i'm wrong maybe i'm just maybe i haven't been exposed maybe i need to uh uh, head over to a Popeyes. Every time I've been by a Popeyes, it's been uh, either when the sam when like the chicken sandwich frenzy was happening, and either they were out or there was a line, or it was during COVID, and I was like not not eating fast food as much. Yeah, in true McDonald's fashion, they com- they wanted to compete with. Uh- a popular chicken sandwich, so they introduced three confusing sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Why three? Look, McDonald's... Is it McDonald's is trying to be everything to everyone, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. That's if you're their gonna problem. Have, if you're going to have uh, what they want, the bread and butter there is going to be the spicy chicken sandwich, right? Yeah, that's but, usually the best chicken sandwich at a fast food place. Right, and is that what the Popeyes one is? It's spicy. No, right? it's not. I they might uh, have a spicy version, but uh, the popular okay. one was just a regular chicken sandwich. Okay, so my my hypothesis is wrong, but I thought it was <laughs> you know that what they want to introduce is just the 
spicy one, but mm-hmm. then it's just like, eh, and then we need, you know, you're going to have your grandma in the car too, and she's not going to eat the, the spicy one, so you right. got to offer a non-spicy one. And then there's one with like lettuce and tomato and onions or something, and that's mm-hmm. like what the freaking board of directors were like, well, do we have an upsell version of it? Yeah. Uh, uh, these board of directors, they always ruin fast food meals. They're always buttoning in with their, uh, what's the bottom line? Uh, profits and losses. Hey, uh, why don't we ask somebody who graduated from Hamburger University what we should do instead of uh, somebody who went to Yale Business School? Yeah, exactly. Get out of here, you freaking eggheads. Yeah. Um, I will say this, Tom. When we announced that this book was the winner, and this book was a winner... Um, by a landslide in, yeah. in, in and the now, book bowl. And now this was a close second to uh, uh, Papa, the the Papa John book, when uh, when we had a variety of uh, uh, fast food tycoon autobiographies. And you did a poll, which I you kept this a secret from me, but I think it was a brilliant idea, of uh, uh, second place winners. Because yeah. f- very frequently, the book in second place is pretty close and also usually a pretty good pick as well. Yeah. If Ray Kroc knew that he lost to Papa John <laughs> in the first in the first instance, who I mean, he died before Papa John even was a, was a, was, a, a, was active. Yeah, blipping in the, on the radar. Mm-hmm. When did when did Ray Kroc die? 1984. Oh, okay, yeah. Says George Orwell foretold. <laughs> I don't think that's what. Uh, so the book's about. No, I don't think it is. Early, yeah, early in 1984, January 14th. Wow, barely made it into 1984. Yeah. Well, he was like, Ugh, I've, "This is just like George Orwell's vision. I got to get out of here. <laughs> I got to go to heaven." <laughs> Where he is. I look. I hope the the founder of McDonald's is in heaven. He's brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. So when this book um, won the poll, mm-hmm. some people were happy. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously, um, right? The people who voted for would be happy. Yeah. So I would say that's a majority. No, it's a plurality. Um, mm-hmm. But some people were were not happy about it yeah did we lose um, patreon did, did some people cancel their subscription we always lose patrons at the beginning of the month yeah because um, that's when they charge everybody's card and and the the dead weight the deadbeats who have stolen uh, presumably dead grandma's credit cards to sign up they get charged and uh the charge doesn't go through sure <laughs> 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 I don't understand. What's going on. Um, but uh, somebody wrote, uh, "Please don't do McDonald's book." Not looking forward to eight hours of ads. First of Ooh. all, we're not going to do two-hour episodes on each <laughs> yeah, one of these. Yeah. Easy. So don't worry about that. And second of all, I hate McDonald's, and I think Ray Kroc was one of the worst people on earth uh, in history. Yeah, I think um, I think we give McDonald's a pretty even-handed. Like, look, McDonald's is the best. It's also the absolute worst. <laughs> why is it the best, though? It's the best before you've gotten what you want to eat, and halfway through what you're eating, and then from then on, it's the absolute worst. Halfway through I any think- McDonald's meal, you regret ordering it. It stops tasting good, and then for the rest of the day, you feel like absolute shit. Yeah, it's five bites that taste good. Yeah. That's why they're the best. Yeah, pretty much. And that's why when I go to my, I haven't, boy, you know what? I haven't been to McDonald's in almost a year now. Um, really? Yeah. And regrettably, I used to go to McDonald's all the time because uh, where I I worked out of, there was a McDonald's. It was like the closest place. And I never wanted to take long lunch breaks. You're eating McDonald's right now, Tom. I wish. big bites from a a double quarter pounder with cheese. Look, the only reason I haven't had McDonald's in a year is because it hasn't been convenient to me in a year. Um, There's not a McDonald's near you? No, there's not. Um, That's shocking. Uh, not too too far, but like far enough that I 
feel way too much shame during that walk. Um, and during that walk, I would also like pass other like horrible places to eat where I'd be like, ah, this is good enough. <laughs> I'll just, <laughs> I'll just stop at this, uh, uh, actually what is on the way there? There used to be a Popeye's, and I would have stopped there to finally try this chicken sandwich, but... The Popeye's uh, closed? Yeah, it's like a, uh organic food place now with a uh, huge apartment building, luxury apartment hmm. building above it. Near the subway still? Yeah, yeah. That was a subway stop that I'd frequently get off when I was going to your place to record, um, and I was always bemoaning the fact that I didn't eat meat, especially during this whole craze, because <laughs> I was like... Ah, I really want to try out this uh, this chicken sandwich. Yeah, that's a. Pl- I I think I've told this story on the show before, but like I remember going to that Popeyes. Uh, I've only I'd only been to that Popeyes a few times, but uh, one time just being there super drunk, and this guy in front of me kept ordering different things, and it was like late. It was like two in the morning, and the guy was like, "We're out of that. We're out of that. We're out of that." And finally, like after 10 orders, the guy was like, well, I'll have to think about this. And I got up and I was like, hi, what do you have? And he's like, we have uh, fried chicken wings and mashed potatoes. And I was like, that sounds great. I'll have some of both of those. (laughs) I'll have all the rest. Well, it was just like, I don't understand why you, uh, uh, I mean, I guess I did because maybe like just telling this guy they were out of things one at a time, past the time quicker than getting things. Yeah. But they literally had two things and they were fine things. But this guy was ordering like specialty items and stuff. Come on. Anyway. Anyway, I think McDonald's sucks. Um, I have a nostalgic appreciation for McDonald's. Um, yeah. When you're a kid, McDonald's is cool. Or when you're a kid in the 80s, McDonald's is cool. Right, because it had toys. Yeah, and then when you're a teen in the 90s, it's kind of cool because mm-hmm. sometimes your friends work there. Right. And then when you have a car, you can go there and it's mm-hmm. you know you eat garbage food. And you can eat garbage food and uh, when you're when you're 16, it doesn't matter. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. And you're not worried about like labor practices or like environmental impact. I Mm -hmm. mean, or like the quality of the food you're eating. Yeah. yeah. And I will say even like, again, when I used to go to McDonald's a lot, it was because I could justify it with, all right, I can go there and get like two things off the dollar menu and a soda and then it at least will be not a ton of calories so I can like justify it like, ah, come on. I had like a, a cheeseburger and four McNuggets. That can't be that bad. It's been a long time. It's been years since I've ordered a meal for McDonald's because honestly, once you get into the meal territory, it's like you can go somewhere and get a, a better meal for the same price at this point. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Um, their, their and, meals are, are way more expensive than the quality of their food. Uh, their value meals, they used to be called extra value. Oh, right. Meals. Yeah. Those sure. But I'm but saying if those you d- used to be, I mean, those are like for a sandwich fries and a drink. Those mm-hmm. are like what? $8, $9 now. No, More? I, in New York city, it's like 11 or $12. I mean, which is. Probably the right price for food, and I like. Well, I'll but spend exactly. sixteen dollars on a salad uh, right next door to me. But that's what so. I'm saying. It's the right price for food, but not that food. <laughs> right. So it's like I have no problem paying you know twelve bucks for a decent lunch, but I do mm. for a McDonald's lunch. And it's like now I'll go to a deli and get a sandwich that that at least isn't gross. Do you think this makes sense, Tom? Mm-hmm. Do you think this would compromise my uh, my ideals too much? Your ideals have been thrown out long ago. If I made an exception, I, I don't eat meat. Mm-hmm. If I made an exception just to eat um, special meat. Uh, menu items from... <laughs> 
fast food because like i really just want to <laughs> just just so i can keep my finger on the pulse uh, right here's you don't want here are two th- you don't want culture to leave you behind here are two things that i've been upset to miss out on mm-hmm. number one the popeye sandwich mm-hmm. and number two mcdonald's when they changed um the uh meat for the quarter pounder with cheese or the quarter pounder yeah, yeah. which people said like Oh, honestly, like this is the best burger that McDonald's has ever made. Like, I I will agree with that. I I've had the non frozen quarter pounder. Um, mm-hmm. It definitely is way better. Like, surprisingly, I didn't think it would make that big of a difference. It does, but it is still like I don't know, nowhere near the type of burger you could get at uh, like a nicer or a Five Guys or a. Uh, yeah. Whatever. And I guess that's a slippery slope because what I want, you know, the stuff that I create, I want a Big Mac. I want, I want a Five Guys burger. I want the stuff that like I enjoyed eating. Yeah. Um, back in the day, but like I don't know. Shouldn't I know what that Popeye sandwich tastes like? <laughs> and it would be a limit of one, right? I could only go once. Oh, I or mean, I it, think that's fine. I mean, I will I, it make me very sick? I think it might make me. Very it might make sick. you I very think my sick. My body would be like, we're not used to this kind of. Like, yeah. We don't have the enzymes to deal with this anymore. I mean, I also think you could, uh, you could have a, you could cut off a little slice for you and then give me the rest and then it's not going to waste. If you need, if you need me to buy you some food, Tom, <laughs> you just have I'm to just, ask. I'm just trying to help you out with your guilt. And if, if eating a free hamburger will do that, well, that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. I don't want to take one bite of it. All right, then eat the whole thing if you're if you don't really don't care about animals or or uh, the fate of the world. <sighs> Tom mm-hmm. Ray Kroc wrote a book. Yeah, it's called Grinding It Out. Yeah, it's about I think grinding up meat. hamburger meat. Uh, is that a pun? Yeah, I think so, because it's, I mean, McDonald's deals in ground meat. Yeah. Well, it's a pretty good pun, then. <laughs> uh, do you think he wrote this book? Um, Based on, I haven't read it, but based on the copy that you gave me, um, it seems short enough that he may have. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not poorly um written stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's also the the tricky thing with ghostwriters is that there's such a long there's such a, a crazy uh you know, uh scale where it's like it goes all the way from like, oh, the ghostwriter never even met the person <laughs> that that wrote this to like the ghostwriter edited you know, some poorly written stuff or the ghostwriter, you know, uh, interviewed this person for 80 hours. And this is basically the cleaned up transcript of an interview. I could right. see this being more that case of like Ray Kroc, uh, maybe not, you know, he's obviously not a writer, but, but, seems like he has a lot of ideas and opinions that he would not want misconstrued and would be happy to spend a lot of time with somebody uh, to get them to put his words down. Tom, if I had just taken a goddamn look at the cover of this book, uh, the making, uh, Grinding It Out, The Making of McDonald's by Ray Kroc with Robert Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There's... But but yeah. I, but again, I think that that's I think Ray Kroc probably was just like, look, I don't want to worry about grammar and punctuation. I'm going to tell yeah. you what what I think. I'm going to read it afterwards, and I'm going to be like, hey, all right, I agree with this. I don't agree with this. I think he was still probably pretty hands on in this, just because like somebody like that too. It's like, oh, you know, he's he's a maniac and he's a workaholic and he, he exactly he's very protective of his image and right, um, yeah. 
And and I don't think he saw this book, especially being the fucking founder of McDonald's. It's not like, oh, and now I'll really cash in with my autobiography. It's yeah. like, no, no, that's it's a vanity project. And he, he would only do it if he wanted to put a certain product out there with his name on it. He searches through his competitors' garbage cans. He scolds his San Diego Padres over the PA system. He either enchants or antagonizes everyone he meets, but even his enemies agree that there are three things Ray Kroc does damned well. Sell hamburgers. Sell hamburgers. Mm -hmm. Make money. And tell stories. Hmm. Where is Ray Kroc from originally? Chicago. Okay. I was going to say, I would think maybe like Texas or the South, like uh, that kind of a storyteller. But I guess uh, people from Chicago can also have the gift of gab. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We've been watching in in my house, Tom, a lot of John Candy movies. Yeah. um, On Christmas, uh, we watched uh, Home Alone, of course. But also mm-hmm. uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah, and like, I mean, that's more of a Thanksgiving. We watch it on Thanksgiving here, but <laughs> well, yeah, because it takes place on Thanksgiving. But like whew, that, I mean, geez, like, look, I'm a huge John Candy fan, but like every time I watch, especially that movie, it's just like, man, not only is this guy, you know, one of the funniest people that's ever lived, but like the way he brings like pathos to a character and the way he can like make you so sad in that movie yeah uh it's masterful um i really enjoyed my favorite part of that was when they got there and they're on the bus and and uh steve martin is so (laughs) disgusted to see the two people like feverishly making out (laughs) he's looking at them in disgust but then they turn and like call him a pervert for watching and the way that John Candy laughs, it's just like, <laughs> you got busted. It's <laughs> yeah. like the most genuine laugh. It's just, it's infectious. And just like, man, uh, turned an awkward situation into something really fun. Well, yeah, it. and made, and made uh, uh, Steve Martin's character feel even worse about like, well, <laughs> yeah. not only did I now everybody thinks I'm a pervert. <laughs> I'm being laughed at here. Tom, to say Ray nothing of, of uh, uh, Steve Martin also does a very good job as being like a big city dickhead in that. Oh, uh, yeah. In that uh, movie. Both of them, I feel like they really walk tight ropes with their characters. Both characters you could not like at all, but you don't because of, of their portrayals. Yeah. Steve Martin at the at the. Rental car desk. I want a fucking car in the fucking spot where you fucking tell me it yeah. is. Man, that is the best scene. Yeah, and it's like he's yelling at somebody who it's not their fault at all. I know. So but you're you, just like, yeah, get that service employee. We hate them. No, yeah, no. Me and Steve, Mar- Steve Martin, two big city dickheads who hate people who are employed to, to serve me. No, because then he gets like thrown out of the airport after that, right? Is that what happens? Yeah. yeah. And I they're think, like, I think John Candy like saves him or something. Yeah. And oh, he does. Like, and then the guy punches him. Yeah, yeah. 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 And you're like, oh, yeah, good. That's what I want to see. Tom Ray Kroc begins his book mm-hmm. very classily. Mm-hmm. There is a tide in the affairs of men, <laughs> wow. which taken at at the flood leads on to fortune. Omitted, all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. And he he came up with that? On such a full sea are we now afloat, and we must take the current when it serves or lose our ventures. And that's, that's from the him. beginning. Well, it's from Shakespeare. A guy, uh, it says Shakespeare, Julius Caesar. Oh. But it makes it look like Julius Caesar wrote a play called Shakespeare. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe he didn't have the best ghostwriter then. 
Man, imagine that. That, that would that would be like uh, how Kennedy had a secretary named Lincoln, and Lincoln had a secretary named Kennedy. Yeah, it'd be the same kind of thing if if uh, Julius, Julius Caesar. Caesar had written a play about Shakespeare, right? I don't. I don't know how you would know about Shakespeare's existence. I'm saying even if it wasn't accurate, just if one of the characters was named Shakespeare. Yeah, it's true. Tom, the first actual sentence of the book. Both the secretaries really the warned the presidents about the events that they were then no, assassinated. Half the half of those those things are completely fabricated. Well, I have heard that uh, presidential secretaries warn presidents about every uh, place they go. <laughs> They're no, a very nervous bunch. Stay here. I love you. They're homebodies. <laughs> All right. The, this really sets the tone for the book. Mm-hmm. For me, this is a groaner. I have always believed that each man makes his own happiness and is responsible for his own problems. You're like, ah, oh, there's one of these guys. Okay. Yep. Um. Yeah. So he. he uh. He's a guy. Then mm-hmm. and and this is uh this is the, his thing. The problem with guys like that saying that shit is like, I don't know. It it just takes all the wind out of like. No, what you accomplish is genuinely uh incredible and uh you know crazy. But then all these guys are always like. Anyone could have done it if they weren't pieces of shit. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, why, that, why don't you just take credit for like, no, I'm, yeah, I'm extraordinary. Most people couldn't have done this. Yeah. Um, it is a simple philosophy. I think it must have been passed down uh, along to me in the peasant bones of my bohemian ancestors. Yeah. But I like it because it works and I find that it functions uh, as well for me now that I am a multimillionaire as it did when I was selling paper cups for $35 a week and playing the piano part-time to support my wife and baby daughter back in the early 20s. That's another thing that, like, uh, ultra-rich guys, they're they're always looking back. I mean, it's different for Ray Kroc because he didn't get involved with McDonald's till he was 52. Yeah. But, like, uh, ultra-rich people who are like, uh, like oh, yep, if everybody would just pull themselves up, they always hearken back to, like, the year that they lived in a studio apartment and right. it's like yeah but you're 70 now um that was that was half a century ago that you you know pinched pennies for a little bit <laughs> right like, the, 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 for for like one like small sliver of your life so spare me please yeah it was like look you deserve credit like you you came upon a great idea and you maximized the shit out of that you know and you worked hard and there was some luck to it and also i don't know you you probably died incredibly unhappy even still so (laughs) (laughs) all right so he starts out chapter Mm -hmm. one is all about him dis- uh, discovering McDonald's for the first time. So he was a, a paper cup salesman. That so. That's how my autobiography is going to start, with me discovering McDonald's for the first time. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that that's like... McDonald's will be the through line of your... Yeah, you're always gonna like, wind I up saw there. this commercial with a man named Ronald. I said, what is this restaurant, Mama and Papa? A man... With the head the shape of a moon, singing about Mac tonight. <laughs> um, he's a paper cup salesman, which is the saddest profession that you <laughs> yeah. can imagine. But you should. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the the way that he describes the paper cup industry. And keep in mind, it was the tw- 1920s and the 1930s. Yeah, this so is like br- it was the most cutting edge technology. Yeah. But he did that for 17 years, and he made 35. He was like, "Oh, you know, it's only making 35 dollars a week." But in the 20s, that's like, a lot of money. I think. I think that's like 200 thousand dollars a year now, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, um, I don't know. And then, uh, so he he left that after 17 years to to sell a multi mixer, Tom. Yeah, which was a contraption that could uh, that could mix five or six milkshakes all at once, which again, 
that happened in the 30s or the 40s, and like mm-hmm. that was blowing people's minds, right? It was the 40s, I think. Um, what are you looking up, Tom? I I'm hate looking when you up, do this. I'm looking up inflation. I'm listening to you. Uh, $35 a week he was making? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't that much money. It was, it was, what was it? it? Like $500 a week in today's dollars. Hmm. That's not nothing. It's not nothing. I mean, yeah, and like the shit was way cheaper back. Like you probably still buy a house with <laughs> making that kind of money. Yeah, and if there's a guy with fucking uh a paper cup salesman, you know, he's not he's not you know, feeding uh th- his wife and, and children with with that salary. Paper cup salesman? Psh. Wait, That's what? That's a job that doesn't exist anymore, huh? Yeah. These days. I I mean, I guess there's probably people who work for the Dixie Cup Corporation who are technically salespeople, but, you know, probably do, like, corporate sales to, like, you know, wholesale. Yeah, there's so much in this book, and, like, yeah, this was I pr- I assume, 100 years ago, right? Like, so, yeah. which is I bonkers. assume he was okay. a door-to-door paper cup salesman, selling one paper cup at a time. <laughs> exactly, would you like to rinse out your your toothpaste with this tonight? Yeah. Five cents. Um, so whatever. Uh, he kept hearing, mm-hmm. you know, people were calling off. And like, we want to buy these multi mixers, these milkshake, because yeah. we want to be like those McDonald's brothers in San Bernardino. Mm-hmm. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Okay, yeah, I'll come sell you a multi mixer. And they were like, hey, 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 it's the nineteen twenties. Why are you cursing like that? At this point, it was, I think, the 40s or maybe even the 50s. Because okay. he, he jumps so they ahead. they were fine with it. Um, so, wait, he was a paper cup salesman for like 20 years? For 17 years. That, and then, wow. And then he left to sell these mixers. And then as mm-hmm. he was selling these mixers, when he was 52, mm-hmm. he uh, everybody was telling him, like, Hey, you got these McDonald's uh, guys. They're, they're really, we want a mixer because they're using the hell out of them. He's like, all right, and he's like, they they were mixing five milkshakes at once. These mixers, and they're like, yeah, they bought Not eight bad. of these mixers, which were very expensive. They were a hundred and fifty dollars at the time. Tom. Jesus, I mean, that was legitimately a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, and he was like, why the fuck did they need to be making forty milkshakes at once? What's going on there? Like, this must well, be a mistake. They they're they're making them because they're selling them. Yeah, and so he went there, flew out to San Bernardino. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he saw he like he waited there. This is this is like things that crazy people do, right? Like he pulled <laughs> it. He got there in the morning. They weren't. They opened at eleven, and he watched as like the staff came, and he's like, "Oh, they were all men dressed impeccably," and they were. And then like he watched as the line started forming, and then he got on one of the lines, and he said, uh, "He said, uh, I got out of my car and took a place in line." Say, what's the attraction here? I asked a swarthy man in a seersucker <laughs> suit who was just in front of me. Uh, never eaten here before, he asked. Nope. Well, you'll see, he promised. You'll get the best hamburger you ever ate for 15 cents, and you don't have to wait and mess around tipping waitresses. Mm. Tom, is this why you like McDonald's? <laughs> no, Tim. It's not. Uh also, this is a man in a seersucker suit buying a hamburger milkshake first thing in the morning when this place opened. It was like 11 a.m. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. This is before they had a breakfast menu. Yeah, exactly. Well, Tom, you'll see. Um, uh, some construction worker um, mm-hmm. looked up at, <laughs> quote, looked up at me with an open, friendly gaze. So I asked him how often he came there for lunch. Every damned day, he said, without a pause in his chewing, it sure beats the old lady's cold meatloaf sandwiches. Oh, and that's his wife. Yeah, and just like just like that construction worker, Tom, you hate women also. <laughs> um, this is this is this would be like a landmark day in your life. This is this is right. This could be the first chapter of your autobiography. <laughs> um, in a bright yellow convertible stra- sat a strawberry blonde who looked like she had gotten lost on her way to the Brown oh. Derby or the Paramount Cafeteria. Well, maybe he could help her out. I wish this she, were, Well, now I'm changing my opinion, Tim. I wish this was the first chapter of my autobiography. <laughs> this is. I like this writing. She was demolishing a hamburger <laughs> in a bag of fries. Nice. 
Um, that that's well before that became a a, a common f- turn of phrase. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This book was written in 1977. Yeah, nobody talked about demolishing hamburgers back then. He walked up to her and said, "If you don't mind telling me, how often do you come here?" Anytime I'm in the neighborhood, she smiled, and that's a, and that's as often as possible because my boyfriend lives here. Nice. Whether she was teasing or being candid or simply using the mention of her boyfriend as a ploy to discourage this inquisitive middle-aged guy <laughs> who might be a masher. What? I don't know what a masher is. I couldn't tell, and I cared not at all. I think, it would, it, I it think would, that's a reference to the monster mash. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody was doing the monster mash at that point. It's graveyard smash. It was not her sex appeal, but the obvious relish with which she devoured the hamburger. Um, now, this that, is when they used to put relish on the hamburgers? No. And then he says, I don't remember if I ate a hamburger for lunch that day or not. What? Oh, come on. This guy's full of shit, right? He's negative. Yeah, he remembers McDonald's everything else now. in explicit detail. Yeah. Um, I was fascinated by the simplicity and effectiveness of the system they described that night. Each step in producing the limited menu was stripped down to its essence and accomplished with a minimum of effort. They sold hamburgers and cheeseburgers only. Their burgers were a tenth of a pound of meat, all fried the same way for 15 cents. You got a slice of cheese on it for four cents more. Soft drinks were 10 cents. 16-ounce milkshakes were 20 cents. And coffee was a nickel. And that's it. Mm. I could see Ray Kroc being the kind of maniac that... uh... You know, you'd ask him, like, well, what's your favorite thing on the menu? You'd be like, oh, I've never eaten any of this. <laughs> yeah, I'm just fascinated by all of it. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's me. I'm more fascinated with McDonald's than I am looking at Oh, eating. yeah, same here. Um, So he basically, he, he waits around and he, like, meets these McDonald's boys. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think this is why I will never succeed in business, Tom. Mm. Like, I'm not one of these guys that will go somewhere and be like, huh, this is pretty cool. I should figure out a way that I can profit off of this, <laughs> right? Like, normally yeah. you'd be like, oh, this is a fun, cool restaurant. Yeah, like, I'll have to come back. I'll come back. I'll, I'll, I'll come back with my friends and family. This will be nice. But uh, he's just like, how do I insert myself into this situation? Because it's cool. Um, and I guess that's a, that's a thing. So he meets Mac and Dick McDonald. And uh, they're like, hey, we'll show you around. Have so you ever wait, seen one the of these McDonald's? guys' name is Mac McDonald? Yeah, Mac Tonight. It's Mac Tonight McDonald. <laughs> oh, tonight's his middle name. Yeah. Mac T. McDonald. The T is for tonight, he says. And that's what he says when he's introducing uh, himself to a lady. Right. And then he winks. Um, and so they're, they're they're showing him around. They show him how it works. Have you seen the movie The Founder? I, I have seen the movie. Not not in a while. Not since it came out. Yeah. Um, I'm going to watch it again at the end of this time. Mm. Um, so anyway, he, he he's marveling at this. But then he has to say, like, I saw plenty of problems there. Yeah. Like, he has to be like, oh, I came and I cleaned things up. But they were building the. They had plans for the golden arches before they even had the arches. And yeah. have you ever seen that? Um, the picture of the original store where like the arches like aren't just a sign. Yeah, they're, they're like, like part of the like, store. Yeah, and he said, "I could see plenty of problems here. The arches of the sign looked like they would topple over in a strong wind, and those neon lights would need constant attention to keep them from fading out and looking tacky." Which is probably true, but it's also like yeah, but they, but right, it looks you, awesome. <laughs> And you, and you haven't done anything yet, man. You came yeah. here and you saw that you liked this thing. Um, and then uh, he, he talks about the fries. Um, and he goes way too long, like a very long explanation <laughs> of how they make the fries. But a big thing that he said about the fries mm-hmm. is that he's like, other places, fries, and especially at the time, were just like an afterthought. Nobody really liked them. Yeah. And uh, McDonald's really changed the game there. Um, and he's like, they only fried potatoes in the oil. And that made a huge difference. Like other places, you know, you just sop up all like. Oh, uh, they would the just other put fl- everything in there. Yeah. And I think that's what McDonald's does now. 
No, the they friars have, are just the friars. No, they have a separate fryer for their French fries. Because they have the baskets. They don't. They don't use the same fryers for other shit. Yeah, they do. No, Usually, they don't. I mean, when I order mozzarella sticks, they, there's a different fryer for the yeah, mozzarella absolutely. sticks. Because they've got like specialty equipment for everything. Because if that shaves five seconds off the cook time, then we that need makes a man them... on the inside, Tom. <sighs> I'm um, sure there are people who are listening to this now who have worked at McDonald's. Or, yeah, or I know. currently work. So, have you ever worked at McDonald's or another fast food restaurant? Uh, no, sound we off in need the to know McDonald's, not other ones. I want to know how they, everything works. Are the French fries cooked exclusively from everything else? Sound off in the comments in general. I just want to know people's experience working at fast food restaurants. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, so stop fucking yelling at me, Tom. Cool it. Cool your jets, man. Um, he's like, uh, we, you should make more of these. And they're like, eh, we don't want to get into any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, uh, Dick McDonald said, it'll be a lot of trouble. Who would, who would we get to open them all for us? I, f- I sat there feeling a sense of certitude begin to envelop me. Then I leaned forward and said, well, what about me? What about me? <laughs> Uh, he was 52 years old. He had diabetes and incipient, uh, incipient arthritis. He had lost his gallbladder and most of his Ooh. thyroid gland in early ca- in earlier campaigns. But I was convinced that the best was ahead of me. Ah, good for him. Tom, 52. There's still hope for you. Yeah, I could still create a new McDonald's. I think it'd be tough. All these jobs, he's had a bunch of jobs in this book, and you'll see. Mm -hmm. But, like, even just, like, going around to restaurants and selling paper cups, like, none (laughs) of these jobs exist anymore. Yeah, but maybe I could, uh, I don't know, uh, come up with a new website full of lies that I run ads on or something. Yeah, that's true. Mm Mm-hmm. And that could be my version of uh, paper cup salesman. Tom, this is phrased really strangely. I was never much of a reader when I was a boy. He's talking about his childhood. Right. Uh, he grew up in Chicago. This is the part that I hate the most out of any memoir or autobiography. I don't care about your life when things were weird and old. <laughs> and I don't care about people's parents. Um, I was never much of a reader when I was a boy. Books bored me. Um, I liked action, but I spent a lot of time thinking about things. I'd imagine all kinds of situations and how I would handle them. (laughs) So like (laughs) fantasies? He would just (laughs) fantasize about things happening and how he would... would Like, and then I would karate chop this guy and I'd do a roundhouse kick to this guy. (laughs) Do you think about that on the subway? Like, okay, if this shady guy over there started attacking me what would i do oh absolutely yeah yeah i think about that constantly on the subway there's probably a good it's good idea that i haven't been on the subway for a year um they called him danny daydreamer even though his name is ray (laughs) (laughs) okay and here it is he's talking about all his jobs that he had so like um you know he was uh when I dreamed about having a lemonade stand, for example, it wasn't long before I set up a lemonade stand. Yeah, you and every other kid ever in the history yeah, of the world. Yeah, like I bragging did about that. Having it a, I, a, a I dreamed, dreamed in the morning, and then in the afternoon I had it. Yeah. He worked in a grocery store when he was a kid, in his uncle's drugstore, uh, in a tiny music store. And then he says this, Work is the meat in the hamburger of life. Wow. Profound words. That sucks. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, Tim, because think about how you eat life like you eat a hamburger. <laughs> but, all right. I think he I, just I, means it's like the basis of life. But like... It's the most important the meat thing. is the most important thing. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. All right, so he learned how to play the piano, too. 
Um, he has this story, this good story of how he, he was hired when he was a kid mm-hmm. to play organ um, for the choir rehearsal at the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it was the freaking early 1900s, um, this got him. He, he got fired the first day as a kid because at the end he had so much pent up like uh, enthusiasm that he played <laughs> shaving a haircut two bits at the end, <laughs> dun, and the dun, priest dun, was dun, like, dun. "Get out of here and never come back." <laughs> That's Satan's music. Um, and then he said at one point, "I daydreamed that I was a piano man," mm. and the opportunity came the summer after I started high school. He had uh, he was a regular Billy Joel. Yeah, he aspired to be at least. You yeah, think if Billy Joel didn't become a piano man, he would have started his? Oh, I could definitely see Billy Joel of starting his own uh, fast food restaurant. Oh, I think he probably will open a chain before he. Before, God, yeah, um, God willing. Yeah. Um, Tom, he, he uh, World the War One starts when he's sixteen. The, the only fast food restaurant where we cook our hamburgers in wine. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would be some sort of. It had to be some sort of Italian yeah. restaurant. It would be more of a fast casual. It'd be like a Bubba Gump, but right. Uh, It'd be Billy Joel's at, from uh, an Italian restaurant. scenes from an Italian restaurant. Um. He wanted to go to World War One, but he was only sixteen. Um, his parents objected strenuously. Strenuously, I finally talked them into letting uh, me join up as a Red Cross ambulance driver. Mm-hmm. So he went and he got uh, trained. He had to lie about his age. Yeah, get this. Um, in my company, which assembled in Connecticut for training, there was another fellow who had lied about his age to get in. He was regarded as a strange duck because whatever, whenever we had time off and went out on the town to chase girls, he stayed in camp drawing pictures. That man's name was Walt Disney. Wow. Tom, this book, I'm not sure if he's full of shit. <laughs> yeah, this, this book is... This is, book is Forrest Gump. You should, <laughs> I was going to say, this is some the, Forrest the Gump the level shit. Yeah. Um... And then, of course, uh, before he got to serve, uh, the, the the war, the armistice happened. Like, mm-hmm. the, the war ended. Yeah. He's like, oh, oh, well, I served the war in Connecticut. And I'm sure he was like, <laughs> for the rest of his life, you know, I'm a veteran. Yeah. You know, like one of these guys. Um, uh, and he's got weird daddy issues, too. Because mm. he mentions, like, he, he still kept working. He dropped out of school or whatever. Who was um, the uh, uh, politician within like the last ten or twenty years that said like he served in Vietnam, but it was like he served during Vietnam, but it never oh, actually yeah. went to Vietnam. I yeah, forget who somebody. that was, but but yeah, th- this sounds like a similar thing. Yeah, I mean, he was pretty upfront that like he never left. Uh, well, US yeah, soil, good, so. good good for him then. Yeah. Hey, it's more than um, I did during World War One. Yeah, me too. Um, he just mentions that, like, you know, when he was like eighteen or whatever, um, he took a lot of odd jobs and on good weeks with a lot of musical jobs. He played piano at a lot of places. Mm. I was making more money than my father. Wow! It's like, jeez, man. All like, right. uh, <laughs> uh, then uh, he got another piano. Gig. I was making more money than my father. By all accounts, I should have been married to my mother. <laughs> Um, he met this guy named Herbie Mintz, um, and he was like, hey, I know of a nightclub that was a, that's looking no, for a piano player. A guy named Herbie Mintz sounds like a guy that knows a nightclub looking for a piano player. Yeah, guess what? Place turned out to be a bordello. A blood? So he goes, no, just a regular one. Oh, just, okay. just regular sex. Um, but, uh, there was this lady who ran the bordello, um, Big Mama, uh, <laughs> nice. a madame who weighed 200 pounds and uh i weigh 200 pounds yeah well uh, should uh, i be called big tama <laughs> we call you big tommy sometimes <laughs> big t i thought that was because of my testosterone levels <laughs> they're off the chart um 
Big Mama came over to him while he was playing piano, and she's like, "You live uh, too far to travel home tonight. You, you tonight, you should stay here." And nice. He's like, what the what the fuck? And he got scared. So before the last song, he went to the bartender and got paid. And then put the money in his sock and then ran away. Wow. <laughs> he just a... like ran down the street. Well, um, where, where would I stay in one of these uh, bedrooms? <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I don't know. You know, he was. Uh... Anyway. Uh, oh, one thing that he uh, constantly, and, I, and I'm not going to read all these things. Um, he just always offhand mentioned, like talks with disdain about people who he's encountered who have drinking problems and mm. just like how pathetic they are. And it like never has anything to do with the story that he's telling. Yeah. Um, he's one of those guys. Um, he got and, married. And he never, is he a teetotaler or? No, oh, no, but well. he just doesn't drink that much. Um, he, he married a woman named Ethel. I forget how they met somewhere. I don't mm. know. Who cares? Um. Uh oh, this is this is. Uh, in 1922, Ethel and I decided we'd waited long enough. I was still a minor, but I was going to be married come hell or high water. When I told my father about it, he got an adamant glint in his eye and said, "Impossible." Um, Raymond, it is not possible for you to get married. You must first have a steady job. So wait. All the he was like a piano player at a brothel when he was a minor. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that makes more sense why he ran away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought he was like twenty five, and it was like, well, what do you think happens in the brothel, pal? <laughs> this is this is the strangest thing, and this is why I cannot relate to the world uh, that, <laughs> that Ray cried. A few days later, I went to work selling Lily brand paper cups. I don't know what appealed to me so much about paper cups. Perhaps it was mostly because they were so innovative and upbeat. <laughs> <laughs> but I sensed from the outset that paper cuts, paper cups were the way America was headed. <laughs> I guess my father must have agreed. At least he raised no further objections. Ethel and I were ma- married. Their paper cups, who gives a shit? I, it's depressing. I don't, I don't know. Tim McDonald still used paper cups to this day. He was onto something. Paper cups were not an easy sale when I hit the streets with my Lily Cup sample case in 1922. The immigrant restaurant owners I approached, I approached. Now, Tom, this is Ray Kroc's words, not mine. <laughs> the immigrant restaurant owners I approached with my sales pitch shook their heads and said, "Nah, I have glasses. They costs me chipper." <sighs> What what chipper? They costs me chipper. I think it's they cost me cheaper. Oh, I see. Okay. Um. Anyway, he he hooked up with this uh guy uh Harry, and they became the the piano twins. And he moonlighted on the radio playing piano while he was nice. selling paper cups. He never had. He was never home. He was always working because work yeah. is the the meat and the hamburger sandwich or right. whatever. Tom, here's another classic Forrest Gump moment. (laughs) This is a biggie. One of my incidental tasks at the radio station was to hire talent to build up the programs. Mm -hmm. One evening, a couple of fellows who called themselves Sam and Henry came into audition. Mm -hmm. They gave me their routine, a few songs in vaudevillian patter. Their singing was lousy, but the jokes weren't too bad, so I hired them for $5 a piece. Again, Ray Kroc's words here. Mm-hmm. They kept working on their characters and developed a Southern Negro dialogue that was a huge success. The team went on to make show business history, later changing the name of their act to Amos and Andy. I was I was going to bet that it was Amos and Andy. So, hey, he gave that racist act their, their big <laughs> Their <shot>. big break. <sighs> Another, hey, let's, let's jump right... To the next uh, Forrest Gump moment. Okay. He really loved uh, baseball. Mm. Um, at one point, he refers to it as America's pastime. Wow. Um, and he Strong words. the Cubs. He went to a lot of baseball games. Um, one night, he, he waited for... Uh, 
overnight for a baseball game and all these drunks were there and got drunk and missed the game the next day. I thought they were... Uh, anyway, uh, I can still picture Hack Wilson's stance at the plate and the sight of Babe Ruth calling that home run off Charlie Root in Wrigley Field. He was there Wow! Babe Ruth pointed. And guess what? When I mentioned Ruth calling the home run, I saw the motion, but I don't think he really called it. That was all in the minds of the sports writers. He's rewriting history like Forrest Gump. Wow. Even he, he probably thought he was pointing to me and saying I had achieved great things. <laughs> yeah, and I really had to pee. Um, he bought a Model T because that's what you did at the time. Yeah, well. um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rush through the boring. Stuff, um. <laughs> um, and then he he goes on this big. The, he he leaves and goes with his wife, and he has a daughter now. Mm-hmm. Um, and his wife's sister. They go to Florida because um. The paper cup business in the winter um, is no good because it's only for cold drinks, I guess. Makes sense. Um, and he sells Florida real estate, and he's got a chip on his, sh- his shoulder because um, people uh, uh, spoke said that Florida real estate was a scam at the time. And it's all whatever. swamps. Yeah, and he was just like, no, I was honest. And, I mean, and these muckraking journalists came and ruined it. I'm under the impression that Florida real estate's a scam currently. Yeah. <laughs> I decided to grow a mustache. It was a disaster. <laughs> Most men have a. <laughs> I mean, I, I like that this he's, he's warts and all. Here. Yeah, put put it um, in the autobiography. But here's the thing: this is kind of a weird brag that he's trying mm. to do. Most men have a margin around their lips, a demarcation where hair doesn't grow. I lack this feature, with the result uh, that my mustache grew right down into my mouth. No, that's everybody if you let it he grow. He just cut the mustache, yeah. Yeah. Did he think his lips were growing uh, hair? Um, while he was in Florida, he was uh, playing piano in speakeasies because mm-hmm. um, it was prohibition. So, oh, uh, right, yeah. You know, the feds would come and they'd have to hide everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, one time he got, uh, they got caught and he got took off, taken off to jail for um, for a few days and he said it was like the worst three days of his entire life. I can um, see that. And then they left, then they left, uh, they left Florida. The 10 years between 1927 and 1937 were a decade of destiny for the paper cup industry. <laughs> I mean, it was I'd buy exciting it. to watch the business grow. If I had known the disillusionment that was waiting for me, I might have gone into some other line of work. Wow. Oh, so the, there's going to be a paper cup crash at some point, sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Tom Yasa says. America had become an ice cream society in the last years of the 20s. Thanks in large part to Prohibition. This is actually kind of interesting. Yeah. Bars and fine lounges and hotels sold ice cream because they could no longer sell liquor. Um, Like, I guess. Yeah. Right? Some people want to, like, gorge themselves on some shit. Yeah, you still want to let loose. And then he's describing the roaring 20s here, Tom. Mm Mm-hmm. Babe Ruth signed a three-year contract with the Yankees for the stupefying figure of $70,000 a year. Lindbergh flew nonstop from New York to Paris. Al Jolson sang in the first talking pictures. In Wonder of Wonders, the 1929 Chicago Cubs won the National League pennant. Big things were happening in the paper container industry. (laughs) A paper milk bottle called the Seal Cone was introduced by a New York dairy. So now it's the paper container industry, not yeah. just paper cups. Uh, his father was one of the large losers in the economic collapse. Um, and of course, uh, you know, uh, Ray's uh, disappointed in him. Mm. Um, it was the Great Depression at some yeah. point, Tom. Yeah. You know, that happened. Uh-huh. And the paper cup industry uh, was hit hard by it. I, I could, company. That, it makes and sense. It, Disposable he products. A, 
he was a top salesman there. He was really mm. good, and he, he goes into for pages and pages about how good he was at paper cut. And they're like, oh, we're going to have to, everyone in the company across the board is taking a 10% pay cut. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm selling uh, more than other people. Take their money. Don't take mine. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, no. And the guy, his boss is like, I'm taking one. Like the president it's of everybody. the company. It's everybody. And he's like, well, not me. And the guy's like, no, you. And he's like, all right, then fuck you. I quit. Wow. And the guy's like, well, no, it's the Great Depression. You probably shouldn't quit your job, <laughs> yeah. man. Why, why don't you go home and think about this? And he's just like, fuck you. I'm not going to think about this. I quit. And he quit. Um, but wow. he eventually went back. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that's uh, that's kind of uh, going to that's gonna be a theme of like, hey, you know. What's best for everybody isn't all, isn't really best for old Ray Kroc here. So uh, why don't yeah, you, uh, I mean that makes sense that, that those that that's the foundation McDonald's was founded on. <laughs> hey, um, look, what's best for society isn't necessarily what's best for McDonald's. So he he kept he went back he started he rose to the, in the ranks um, and then uh, he was uh, he was managing a bunch of salesmen now. Um, and they uh, said he should get a secretary. And he said, I suppose you're right, but I want a male secretary. They said, oh, Wow, what? very progressive. Said, I want a man. He might cost a little more at first, but if he's any good at all, I'll have him doing a lot of sales work in addition to my administrative things. I have nothing against having a pretty girl around, but the job I have in mind would be much better handled by a man. So he hired a man. Mm-hmm. Um. It was still the Great Depression. He hired a maid uh, because he was so rich. Um, <laughs> I took care not to be ostentatious. I detest snobs, but my style kind of dazzled my staff at the office. Wow. I'm sure they were all dazzled by it. <laughs> um, Tom, mm-hmm. he's selling paper cups to the ice cream people, you know, yeah. to serve ice cream. In. To the ice cream man. Yeah. The ice cream men. And, and then he hears about this uh, this new milkshake oh, yeah. uh, innovation that's happening. Uh, uh, I forget where, somewhere else. I'm not going to look it up because we're way over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he goes to one guy, uh, some guy in the ice cream uh, business, and he's like, um, "Look, I hear about the. I've heard about this new uh, milkshake technology. Mm-hmm. We should go in on this technology together." Yeah. And the guy says to him, "Ray, you are a nice guy, and I like you." but I do not want to get into the milkshake racket. We do a nice clean ice cream trade here. And the last <laughs> thing I want is to get involved with milkshakes. <laughs> what the I imagine... world were they living in? It's like, Ray, you're a friend, so I'm not going to hit you. But uh, They went there um, and they were sold. Uh, and they're like, oh, yeah, we should go into this together. And they were so successful that they invented some metal sleeve for a, a mixer that Ray Kroc writes six pages about how the metal sleeve works and how he was the true genius behind it, even though this other hmm. guy fucking invented it. Um, and then this other guy invented that uh, the mixer that mixed five or six milkshakes at once. Right. And Ray Kroc was like, "This is great. I've fallen in love with this. I should. You should manufacture this. I'll sell it, and we'll go into mm-hmm. business together." Um, that gets wrapped up in the paper cup industry in the company. Like they they sell the idea to the paper cup company, but then the paper cup company is like, "No, we just want to do paper cuts. It's the future. God damn it! Don't you know this is what America's <laughs> built on paper cups." And so he's like, fine, I'm going to go and sell these on my own. I'm leaving the paper cup company. And they're like, um, we own that technology. You oh. can't sell that mixer. And he's like, well, you're not going to sell the multi-mixer. You told me that you didn't want to. And they're just like, yeah, well, we own it. Yeah, well, we don't want so you to do like, it either. And they were like, okay, well, you can go out and do it, but we get 60% of the profits, so we'll see you later. Um, uh, so... The cup company got 60% of my new company, which I named Prince Castle Sales. It was a satanic setup, but I didn't see that then. Wow. Uh, they put up 6000 of the $10,000 capital he needed, um, but it was soon to become an anchor chained around my neck. 
Tom, this is one of those like he's self-deprecating at points. Yeah. Um, but very strategically, and the rest of it is like, and here every accomplishment that everybody else um, you know, really should take credit for was really, you know, I kind of did it. I mean, that that's the way Papa John's book kind of was, too, where it was yeah. like, I wasn't having so much success dating, and it's like, oh, self-deprecating, and it's like, I was too busy inventing pizza. <laughs> it's like, well, no, you didn't do that. <laughs> um. So, yeah, uh, Ray Kroc, uh innovator, idealist, paper cup, visionary. Again, uh, I think, you know, paper cups are still around. I think they're here to stay. So who yeah, knows? Bad. Maybe maybe in the long run, he would have been better off, uh, you know, uh, investing in the paper cup company. Probably. Nah, McDonald's um, is a pretty profitable company. I don't know. I don't know if they've ever turned a profit yet. Tom. <laughs> I think they're still they're still pre uh, pre revenue. They're, I mean, they might be nowadays, but they used to be uh, cock of the walk. All right. Well, in conclusion, don't eat at McDonald's. It's bad. Unless you um, want to. Yeah, do whatever you want. Um, thank you for supporting us. Um, uh, hey, fast food workers, past and present, sound off in the comments. Yeah. I'm fascinated. And, yeah. and yeah, and answer the question about the, the the current situation of the fryer at McDonald's. Yeah, that's mostly what we're after. Uh, well, and, or even if you uh, work or worked at a uh, a different type of fast food place, because I imagine, look, the I'm going against you on McDonald's, but I bet most other fast food places also do not just use the same fryer for everything. I'll bet you $10,000. Oh, an update on uh, who wants to be a booksman heir. Uh Tom has still not uh, posted the video of him licking a mouse. I haven't been able to catch that mouse yet. His $20 prize is still sitting in escrow. Yeah. Well, as soon as I can get my hands on that mouse, Tim, I'll lick it so I can get that $20. Great. Um, cool. Hey, everybody. Hey, Tom. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. Hey, uh, thanks for talking. Um, we'll see you next week. We love you very much. You're very special people. Oh, we're so sorry. The person listening to this record didn't win the big prize. But tell him to check out those coupons. Check out those coupons. And get him down to McDonald's now to save money on great McDonald's food and give him more chances to win more prizes. More prizes. And you guys? Yes. Sing something else.